0: Before we get into the series um, and before we get into the study today, it's, it's called Revitalize. You can see that there in your handout, so go ahead and get that prepared as you follow along. Um, church, thank you for being here. Thank you for being at church. We call it church. Um, today, we are not at church, though. I want us to get to get this thought in our... Head that we're not at an event or a building but rather we gather as the church as we raise our voices together in worship and we sit together to hear God's truth for our lives and God calls us today to renew our minds to his truth for it's in the receiving of his truth that we're set free and that our lives are transformed Uh, This time of year for me is very special because it was around this time of year 10 years ago, and Facebook is old enough now that it's starting to remind us of what happened 10 years ago in our life. And man, it's gone by so fast. But 10 years ago, around this season, we were on our way back from having a week of a visit with you as a church family when we were praying about coming as uh, a part-time assistant pastor to serve in the youth program. And Rebecca and I were on our way back to Indiana, driving over the I-65 bridge across the Tennessee River, and she opened up a card that one of the church members here at Fairview had written to us, and just some very encouraging words that they wrote to us. And, and, And in the midst of that card was a verse that really solidified in our heart and gave us peace that this was where God was leading us 10 years ago. And that's the verse, Acts 16, verse 9 when Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia and the very last part of that verse the man from Macedonia says come over into Macedonia and help us and the Lord used those simple words from that scripture to just solidify in our hearts that he was indeed leading us back to my hometown of which I really had no plans or grand desires or thoughts to go back to my hometown Um, But in the end, it's right where God wanted us as we look back over 10 years of history. And so uh, it's just such an encouragement to think about how God works and how he um, uses uh, circumstances in our lives to lead us. And as your pastor over these last nine years and being here for 10 years, probably the greatest question that I wrestle with as a pastor is the following question, and that is this, is the church that God has called me to and entrusted me with being led to spiritual health and vitality, or is it in the process of dying? Now maybe that sounds a little drastic, maybe we're not in the process of dying, but certainly um, just as we can be physically, many times churches can be sick and um, they not know it or maybe they do know it. Maybe they maybe they're starting to see some signs of sickness. And and so with that in mind and with just thinking about 10 years of history as your pastor and really coming up to a new decade. I mean, folks, we're about to hit 2020. And we're going to be into a completely new decade as a as a as a world, as a nation, as a church. I just wanted us to examine this reality because churches don't individual churches the church of God goes on forever Um, God said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it if you're thankful for that say amen Um, I'm going to give the sound people a headache today because I'm skipping all around sorry Olivia Uh, God said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and and when God said those words he wasn't talking about building a building He was talking about building people. He was talking about seeing people saved and and brought into the body of of Christ. And and so the Great Commission is focused on people that collectively make up a group of individuals called the church. And so God builds his church. and, And with that desire for God to build his church comes Satan's desire to try to hinder that process. Satan loves to devour, to deceive, to discourage, to distract, to detour us, to divide us and to delay the forward march of the church. And so God calls us to arise as the church, to put your armor on, to hear the call of Christ, your captain, and to be healthy. God desires for his church to thrive. And so as your pastor, this question is is one that I wrestle with regularly. God, am I doing what you've called me to do and what you've entrusted me with? Am I leading these people, this body of believers known as Fairview... Am I leading them to spiritual health and vitality, or are we in the process of dying, or are we sick, or are we very sick? And those are all questions that swirl around in my head, because the reality is, is churches that aren't focused on the right uh, uh, commission, they aren't preaching the right message, churches that aren't uh, serious about what God's called them to, are churches that lose their influence, Just like God warned of the churches in the book of Revelation when he said, hey, if you don't repent, Revelation 2 verse 5, if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. That's not talking about a loss of salvation, but what that is talking about is a loss of opportunity to influence and impact the world. And and with the church of Ephesus, of which this verse is referring, the church of Ephesus lost their influence. They lost their impact. And as best as we can by God's grace with God's power. We don't want that to be said a fair view, do we? Do you want to be a part of a thriving, growing, healthy church? I know I want to pastor that kind of church. And I hope that over these next several weeks, as we look at spiritual health in our local church, that we will all get encouraged and exhorted and motivated to see that this all rests on all of our shoulders as the body, as the collective body, It can't just be placed on the staff to make sure that we have a healthy and vibrant and thriving church. It requires every single one of us to be on mission together. And so with all that said, we're going to be looking at a series here entitled Revitalize, a church health checkup. If you were sick and you were showing symptoms of an unhealthiness in your body, you would desire to get an accurate diagnosis of your situation so that you could seek out a remedy for your sickness. Everyone wants to be healthy, But the reality is, health, for the most part, is intentional. If you do not address symptoms of bad health in your life, they can lead to further disability or even death. And as a church, it is vital for us to address symptoms of sickness, signs of sickness, and how we can find better health as a body of believers. Like physical symptoms of sickness, these signs can both appear suddenly, but they can also appear very gradually. And that's most of the time how it happens in in churches. We get comfortable, we get complacent, and these these symptoms start to appear gradually. And so this month at Fairview, we're going to be asking God collectively to show us the symptoms of sickness as a body so that we can face those as a church, so that we can best address these, these issues for better health as a body of believers in the years to follow. Um, our goal as a church is to be healthy and effective in carrying out the great commission that God has given to us. And so today we begin with a study in Matthew 25 and look at a parable that applies to our church life and how we respond to the great blessings and gifts that God has entrusted to us as a body of believers. Every investor expects a return on their investment. Are there anybody, is there anybody out there that invests and expects no return on their investment? Okay, good. Just wanted to check. All of us, if we invest, if we save into companies and into projects, we hope that there's a return down the road. And the reality is God, as the good master of our lives, has invested into us. And he expects us to steward faithfully and manage the resources that have been entrusted to us. And he wants us ultimately to see them multiplied under our care. And so, when we are effective as faithful stewards, there is great joy in knowing that we lived up to the opportunity and responsibility that was given to us. And so, let's read this passage. We're reading the parable of the talents today in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Let's read this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 14 For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his individual or several ability And straightway took his journey Then he that had received the five talents Went and traded with the same And made them other five talents And likewise he that had received two He also gained other two So notice with the first two guys They basically doubled what had been entrusted to them But he that had received the one Verse 18 Went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money and I couldn't help but, when I read this, think about all those old-timers that, that used to take their tin cans and bury them in the backyard. And they would end up passing away, and their relatives and their descendants would find their, their uh, stash. You know, I just I, I couldn't help but think about that. Um, verse, verse 19, so, so, so this evening, you know, you want to get your metal detector out and go out in your backyard and see if Uncle, Uncle Paul left anything for you. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Basically, he's saying, there you go. I hid it, buried it, because I knew you as a hard man. I was afraid. Here you go. That's that's kind of the attitude here. Um, Verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has." Well, that doesn't sound like a social welfare, welfare program in verse 29, does it? Verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the context of this passage is interesting. Um, Jesus is in the midst of giving three parables. He would often do this, uh, evidently the lord liked trilogies. And so think of your favorite trilogy, book, or, or movie. Uh, Jesus was in the midst of a trilogy of parables here. And what we have to be careful with with parables is not to take too much deep theological truth from, from the parable. Um, we're not gonna get off in the tall weeds today talking about what was the weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. Uh, what, what was, was the one servant who had the one talent, was he saved and then he lost his salvation? Was he, was, he, was he saved, but is this kind of the millennium where, where, where there's going to be suffering of loss? We're not going to get too deep into all of those theological implications because here's the point. When you're studying scripture and you're dealing in a parable, you want to be careful how much theological implications you pull from the parable. You want to stick to the main point of the parable. And what's the main point of the parable? Well, the main lesson in the parable is stewardship. But it's stewardship in light of the Lord's return. We're going to look at a passage here in a second, back back in Matthew twenty one that really sets up these three trilogies and these three illust- or these three stories, this trilogy and the illustrations that Jesus is trying to, to make. And so the context of this passage is uh, this is a collection of three parables. There's one on ten virgins. There's one on the sheep and the goats. And then this parable the talents. And we're given and these parables were given in context of the return of Jesus. If you look there in Matthew twenty one verses forty two and forty three. He's talking to his disciples, and he's talking to the elders of, of Israel, and he says, Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, quoting a passage from Psalms 118. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. He's talking to Israel. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Who is he talking about there at the end of that passage? He was talking about you and me, the church. He was talking about uh, this institution of the, of the church age and of the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, coming together as one. And we talked a little bit about that last week in our message with, with the gospel and how it broke down the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile. And that really gives us the mission's heart that we should have as a church, the gospel. And so the reality is here in this passage, you see a master who has three servants and this master has entrusted resources, opportunities, and influence to these three servants. And here's the reality. That master wanted a return on his investment. No one expects to make an investment in something that will not produce a return on their investment. And so that's just obvious. The, the universe operates by the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7 and 9 tells us about the principle of sowing and reaping. And the reality is you always reap what you sow. You always reap, most of the time, more than you sow. If you plant a little apple seed, you get a whole lot of apples on an apple tree. So you always reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow. And you always reap later than you sow. It's a process. And so the reality is, this master left these talents, these, these resources with these three servants, and he expected that those resources sewn into these three individuals would produce a return on his investment. What's the application for us? It's obvious. Now, we're gonna apply this both individually to our lives, but really the main focus in these studies over the next four weeks in the month of September is to ask ourselves, how does this apply to us as a church practically? And so the message today is mainly for believers, for for the church, but if you're not a believer in Christ, uh, I wanna encourage you, uh, trust the master, trust Jesus Christ, he loves you. He wants to bless your life with joy. See that? Enter into the joy of thy Lord. So this message is for us as believers, and we're going to be applying these principles specifically to the life that we have as a church family. And so the question is this, or, or, the, or the statement is this, God has invested in the Fairview Baptist Church. Amen. There's no doubt that uh, Fairview was started in 1902. That's old. <laughs> uh, I wasn't around then. Um, that's a long time. And 10 years ago, we very indelibly had marked upon the history of our church an incredible investment from God. Only God could do, only God could do what He did 10 years ago to relocate us out here to where we're at today. And so, God has entrusted to us property, a building, but more importantly, God's entrusted to us people and an influence and a testimony and an opportunity a great door of opportunity is open before fairview and god has invested into us and you know what from this passage we get this simple truth is that god has entrusted to us resources opportunities and influence and he expects for us to use wisely these things so that there is growth and a return on his investment and so I want to point out four truths to you today about stewardship and about what God's entrusted to us and how we apply this, yes, both individually, but more importantly, corporately as a church. Number one, the first truth we see in this passage is is that God has given to us a stewardship. God has given a stewardship to us. Look back at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them His goods. I want you to notice a couple of key words in this first verse that we just read. Notice that it says that he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Two points. We are God's servants ultimately we're his sons and daughters and we're serving in the family business so so we are his and what he has entrusted to us is his now now people don't like to hear that today people people don't like to hear that what they have is not theirs but folks we know the harder we try to hold on to something the quicker it slips through our hands so you know what god's trying to encourage us today through this parable live open-handed Live with the reality of understanding that there's going to—you you only have so many days and so many opportunities in this life. And live with an open hand, allowing God's blessings to simply maybe rest for a moment in your hand, but then to be passed on to someone else. God says here in this first verse that he has entrusted a stewardship to us. We are his servants, and he has delivered unto us his goods, his resources, his opportunities, his influence. What is a stewardship? If you had to define stewardship, it's this. It's the task of taking care of something that is not your own. It's an entrustment. It's a responsibility to care and manage someone else's resources, opportunity, and influence. And do you know what I think of when I think of the word steward? When I think of the word stewardship, the first thing I think of— you're going to find out a little bit more about your pastor through this next slide. But this is what I think of. Denethor, the steward of Gondor. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Denethor, if you've read the books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy written by J.R.R. R. Tolkien, a Christian. He actually led C.S. Lewis to Christ. And so wonderful uh, uh, Christian authors. And uh, so this is the Lord of the Rings. And, and uh, Denethor, he was the steward of Gondor. He was the 26th steward of Gondor. And what was the problem with Denethor? Denethor. He took ownership of the kingdom of Gondor, which was not rightfully his. There was only one rightful king who was worthy to sit on the throne of Gondor. And it was not his to take. And by way of illustration today and application, there's only one rightful king of the universe. There's only one rightful king of your life, and you and I are not it God has called us to be merely stewards. Not to ever allow ourselves to think that somehow we're entitled, to think somehow that we're owners. No, everything we have in this life is given to us by God. The question is, do we see ourselves as stewards or do we see ourselves as owners? Do you see yourself as a steward or do you see yourself as owner? Do you see this, do you see this church as your church or do you see this church as God's? Do you see uh, your preferences, or do you see God's mission in view? What are some truths about a steward? Number one, a steward lives for the day that he will return his master's goods to him. Do you see that here in the story? Two of the, two of the stewards lived for this return when the master would be able to receive back what had been entrusted to them. So a steward lives for the day that he will return his master's goods to him. An owner believes his possessions are his to spend in any way he sees fit. Everything we have in this life ultimately belongs to someone else. We are merely holding them for the day of accounting. So the challenge for us is, again, to live empty-handed. So a steward lives for the day when his master's goods are returned to him. Number two, each steward or servant has a different amount that's entrusted to him has a different amount look at verse 15 look at verse 15 there it says and to one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his own ability and immediately he went on his journey so notice that a steward lives for the day that his master's goods will be returned to him but number two each steward is entrusted with a different amount that god has given to him everyone receives something but not everyone receives the same amount and this is okay and this is actually good news because God's not comparing your efforts to those of another. That's not the, 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 the principle here in this passage. What God is looking at is what he's entrusted to you. This is not the great competition. This is the great commission. And so it's an entrustment of influences and resources for kingdom impact. This is actually very comforting to me. And let me tell you how it's comforting to me is... Is, is this Because it's very easy for preachers to be competitive and to look at what other preachers have and to look at how big other churches are and, and how big their influence is. And, and preachers get caught up in this all while claiming that we're just doing the work of the Lord, of course. But here's the great news. You know what? God's entrusted me what God's entrusted to me. God's entrusted to you what God's entrusted to you. And so we don't have to be in competition with other Christians. That's not the issue here. We are being called to live and give an account for what God's entrusted to us. So a steward lives for this day. When when, when he knows his master's goods will be returned back to him, a steward understands that what God has entrusted to him is, is enough. It's okay. There's not a competition going on. And then finally, a steward, by definition, is a temporary position. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them temporary a temporary position denethor steward of gondor was only there temporarily he would not rule and reign forever and so jesus return is sure verse 19 he's he's returning it might seem like a long time two thousand years seems like a long time to us But sooner or later the lord will return and our opportunity to be a steward will be over so god has given a stewardship to us the second truth i want you to see here in this passage is this god desires for us to be faithful in our stewardship he desires for us to be faithful in our stewardship look at verses 19 through 23 again so after a long time the lord returns and the servants reckon with him They give an account of their stewardship, verse 20. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents. And we're not going to reread all this, but I want you to notice what the master says about both the servant with the five and the servant with the two. Verses 21 and 23. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he says the same thing there at the end, enter thee, uh, you've been faithful over a little, I'll make you ruler over much, enter into the joy of our Lord. I want to focus on that first part of that that phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of y'all want to hear that as believers when you stand before Jesus one day? Raise your hand if you want to hear that. Now, I really want to hear it. You know why I really want to hear it? because I'm a words of affirmation guy. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say words of affirmation? There's a book written by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, and I was just uh, starting a new round of uh, pre-marriage counseling this week, and I was sharing with the couple how my two love languages are physical affection and words of affirmation. And for me, and if you're a words of affirmation person, and, and, and that's a way that love is communicated, we all want to hear those words, but man, for me, that's going to be, I really want to hear it because words, words just light up my soul. And so we all want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We all do. We want to know that our lives meant something, and they made a difference. We want to know that in some way we made a difference with the life that God so wonderfully Redeemed And rescued and restored He gave to us this incredible gift Of new life in him Brothers and sisters New life in him And we certainly want to stand before him one day And know that we ran our race well We didn't place first Again, it's not a competition with the Christian Who's running faster But we finished We ran our race well and we're able to hear those words. Now, when you hear the words good and faithful servant, God desires for us to be faithful in our stewardship. How do we quantify and understand that word faithful? I think what's so fascinating about this passage is this. When we think about faithfulness, often here's what we think of. We think about someone who's steady eddy, stick by the stuff, they don't change. We use that word faithful. And certainly that's part of the word faithful. Uh, God commends other churches for staying faithful to his word Being unchanging and believing the fundamentals of the truth of the gospel And in those ways, that word faithful is clearly meaning Unchanging, steadfast, stable, unmovable But notice in this passage how Jesus is using the word faithful He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant And he only gives that commendation to the two who saw their talents multiplied. He did not say to the one who buried the talent, who was steady Eddie, who was stable. I mean, he didn't lose anything that the Lord had entrusted to him, the master had entrusted to him, but he also didn't gain anything. Notice that he said faithful to the two servants who were fruitful. You see, faithfulness is fruitfulness. Certainly, part of faithfulness means that it's fruitfulness. And fruitfulness at its core is a continuing of life through multiplication. And so notice here that these two servants, they were faithful in their stewardship. And how did the Lord quantify, how did the master quantify that faithfulness? By the fact that they were fruitful. Wow. That challenges us to perhaps think that maybe we fundamentally misunderstood faithfulness. We think faithfulness means to not lose ground or to just remain steady. But that's not all that, that, that it can mean, according to this passage. If anything, it also means that we are able to take what God has entrusted to us and to see it multiplied for his glory. Multiplication. You know, I, I, thought, I thought of uh, the very first command, the very first thing that God told mankind on earth to do, be fruitful And multiply and fill the earth of course Satan hated that command you know why Satan hated that command because he knew that if more people would be born there would be more image bearers of the Most High God bringing glory to him for all of eternity so Satan from the very beginning fought against that simple command but here's the good news, the gospel came along. Of course, the gospel is there from all of eternity, but the gospel gets unveiled in the unfolding revelation of God, and we become new creations in Christ. And God, once again, gives to us this command through the Great Commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth so that the whole earth is filled with his glory. And you know what the fruit of love is? Children, children, that's the fruit of love, the fruit of a loving relationship of, of a body of believers is spiritual children. It's 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 fruitfulness. And so when God desires for us to be faithful in our stewardship, he is putting that in the context of a fruitful life where there is a return on the investment that he has placed with us. And so God calls all of us to be stewards. God desires for us to be faithful in our stewardship. Number three, the result of faithful stewardship is joy with Jesus and not regret. Again, if you look at verses 21 and 23, they both read the same at the end where he says, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 23, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So the result of being a faithful steward, of knowing that you've ran the race well, that you've taken what God has entrusted to you, that... That we take what God's entrusted to us as a church and we grow and we thrive and we seek to be healthy as a church. There's joy. When we'll be able to stand before Jesus and know that as a church body, we ran our race well. Joy. The motivation to be a faithful steward is so that we can share in the master's joy. And to know that we used what he entrusted to our care to bring more people into his joy. You know, there's a lot of debate about the rewards that we get in heaven. Are they actual crowns? Are they metaphorical crowns? We're not going to, again, get into a debate on what the reward is, but I do want to show you a verse that I find very interesting. What's the reward that we get when we stand before the Lord? Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.19. It says this, For what is our hope, what is our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? What's the reward? What's the crown? It's people that we take with us into the master's joy. The result of faithful stewardship is joy, is celebration and not regret. You know, if you look at this wicked and slothful and unprofitable servant, we're going to look at him here in just a second more in depth, but, but notice that his influence was removed. Just like the church of Ephesus, their candlestick was removed, and that was the warning to the churches of Revelation as Jesus was writing to those seven churches of Asia. He said, be careful and repent, change your mind, or else your influence will be removed. You know, the greatest tragedy for a Christian is the fact that they lose their opportunity to influence the world for which they were created. None of us want to live with that kind of regret. And the good news is, is if you're hearing these words, there's still hope to repent, renew, change your mind about what it means to be a faithful steward and say, God, you've entrusted to me individually, but you've entrusted us corporately as a church, an incredible season of opportunity an incredible gifting of resources to be able to make an influence and an impact for the kingdom of heaven, to see our talents double for your honor and your glory. The result of faithful stewardship is joy with Jesus and not regret. And then finally, we see this truth here in this passage, and that is this. The greatest influence on our stewardship is our view of God. If you study this unprofitable servant here in verses 26 through 30— Actually, 24 through 30. Notice what he says in verse 24. He says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. As you read those two verses, you see that this servant's view of his master affected how he viewed his stewardship and his responsibility. He was disabled from the get-go because his view of his master was wrong. And probably the most important thing that we can leave with today as we study this passage is what is your view of your master, of who God is? Satan, from the very beginning of human history, has fought against mankind and their understanding of who God is. Look at it in Genesis 3. He said, you can't trust God. He's not good. He's holding out on you. He's a hard God. He's not a good father. And you know what the gospel says? He's a good, good father. He laid down his son so that you could be his. He's a good father. And when you get the view of the master right, the the rest of how you view your stewardship, how you view your life, changes. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of our circumstances, which paralyzes us with fear and uncertainty, which then leads to complacency. And that's what we see in the church today complacency because we think that faithfulness and again we get the wrong idea of faithfulness and complacency quickly masquerades itself as faithfulness and so we think we're being faithful Ah, us four no more we're just going to hunker down we're going to bury what God has given us into the ground and when the Lord comes we'll be able to give back what he entrusted to us with no return on the investment We think that's faithfulness. Because ultimately, somewhere in our view, our view of God is wrong. And so we're paralyzed with fear. This servant reacted and made decisions in light of fear and not faith. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. What does that mean? Interesting verse there in the midst of the book of Ecclesiastes There along with Proverbs, wisdom for life What's that verse saying? What's the lesson? Basically this, nothing is ever accomplished for God Sitting around wondering when the perfect season is upon us Or the weather is just right Nothing is ever gained through that kind of life And so if we're always waiting for a better season to sow seed that season might not ever come. And if we're always waiting for better weather to go reap the harvest, that better weather might not come. So the challenge is is to live life as a faithful steward, not a fearful steward. See the difference? Two men were filled with faith knowing that their master was going to return, knowing that their master had entrusted to them resources, influence, and opportunity, that therefore they knew they were enabled enabled to go and see it multiply. So they were full of faith. But one was full of fear. Always wondering if we take that risk or if we take that step, what's going to happen? And so... God has called us to reevaluate our understanding of what it means to be a faithful steward, to refocus on what God has entrusted to us, to renew our commitment to be faithful stewards. And so the question is, how healthy is our church? Well, part of that question is answered in how our church views the stewardship of the resources, influences, and opportunities that God has entrusted to us. And what an opportunity we have going into a new decade knowing that God has entrusted to us what he has and that we have an opportunity to be faithful stewards if our goal is not to be fruitful and flourishing then we are not being a faithful steward and we are a church that is not healthy do you as a brother and sister in Christ want to see Fairview Baptist Church be fruitful and multiply and grow if that if your answer is yes then praise god you're a faithful steward and so what we must do is repent of our complacency that has masqueraded itself unfortunately many times as a false faithfulness and renew our minds to the fact that god desires for us to multiply our gifts that he's entrusted to us now i understand ultimately we can't cause things to grow but all we can do is plow the ground, be faithful to plant the seed, not waiting for a better season, not waiting for perfect weather. All we can do is take the resources and influences and opportunity. And yes, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. We know that. But the reality is here we see in this parable that faithfulness is tied to this issue of fruitfulness and being a faithful steward. And so we must repent, we must renew our minds to the fact that God desires for us to multiply our gifts that he's entrusted to us. During our time of worship here at the end of our service today, I'm going to ask Jessica if she would be willing to come back and sing that song once again, a beautiful song that encapsulates the gospel, and Rebecca and Caitlin, if y'all come back and sing that song. During that time, as Jessica sings that song today, I want to challenge you and me to ask God what he would show us for where we need growth in the transformation of our church body a very practical way that you can leave this message today and seriously look at your stewardship is to pick up this free resource out at our table we only have nine or ten all right so um get them while they're the, uh, get while the getting's good all right i'll be out there to uh, greet you and to give you one if you'd like one the title of this book is autopsy of a deceased church Hopefully we're not a, de- I don't think we're a deceased church. We're still here, right? Amen. But are we sick? Are, do we show signs of sickness? Could, could you go back to the screen, Olivia, with that book on there? Um, it's right back towards the beginning. There's four, four categories of churches uh, here in America, and this is with a lot of research. 10% are healthy, 40% show symptoms of sickness, 40% are very sick, and 10% unfortunately of churches, and we know this, we hear the news all the time of churches closing their doors and dying. And so... As we go from here, what what, what we have to realize is that, that the stewardship of this local church isn't just one pastor or one assistant pastor, although God has called us to lead. And what we're leading you to do today is to see your responsibility and calling as a steward together with us. And what an opportunity we have to stand before Jesus one day and hopefully hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful, fruitful faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. So our prayer today is that God would grow this church, that he would transform us through and by the gospel, and that God would revitalize this church to multiply the investment that God has made in us. Let's pray.